Hey there, it's the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And uh, if you would, head over to iTunes. Give it a five-star rating. I'd really appreciate that too. That's how more folks like you and me can connect and get in on this on this podcast and these conversations. Speaking of these conversations, got a good one with you today, talking to Joe Howard. He's the founder of WP Buffs. That is a WordPress maintenance as a service productized service uh, has seen really awesome growth and traction from uh, you know starting in, in around 20 I think 15 or 16 into 2018 just month over month growth uh, we talked about his journey from you know working as a salary employee even through the launch of WP buffs and then you know going full-time on it and some uh, how he's been able to scale the team of, with freelancers and and some lessons learned there. Talking about team culture, building a remote team culture around a productized service, structuring the productized offering, the pricing, and, and what goes into that, and and segmenting different customers. We talked about marketing. You know, we touched all the bases. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, again, it, it's a good one. I'm I'm really impressed with what he's been doing with WP Buffs. It's a highly you know systematized. It's a productized service, and it's uh, really well done. I highly recommend you, you even check it out if, if you're running a WordPress site and you need help with it. I mean, he's not paying me to do this or anything, but yeah, I just think it's really well executed. So anyway, here you go. Here's that conversation with Joe Howard from WP Buffs. Oh, and you know, just one more quick note. My apologies that the audio quality on Joe's end is is not as ideal as I would like it to be. I know he was traveling. At, I think he's out in Serbia when we recorded this. Hopefully we'll, we'll clean it up for you, but uh yeah, you know, hopefully you can hear it okay. Anyway, here you go. Here's that conversation with Joe Howard from WP Buffs. Enjoy. All right, Joe Howard, how's it going? I'm doing really well, Brian. How are you? Doing good. And uh, yeah, it's great to connect with you. You and I just met a couple of weeks back at MicroConf in Vegas. Really cool to kind of catch up with you there and and hear what you're up to with WP Buffs. We're going to get into all that today. I know. So, I mean, you're you're based in the U.S., but you're traveling in Europe right now, right? I am. I am uh, at my hotel in Belgrade, Serbia, right now. I'm a WordPress guy, so doing a WordCamp Europe this upcoming weekend. But we'll uh, be here for the few days before, kind of hanging out with a few of the European-based people I work with. So, yeah, pretty cool. Very nice. Yeah, actually, I noticed in one of your blog posts here how you, you've actually made going to word camps and conferences, you know, part of your strategy for getting WP buffs out there. I'd love to kind of get into that. But, you know, before we jump ahead, why don't you give us an idea? What is WP buffs? How do you uh, explain it to folks? Yeah, for sure. So I am the head buff at WP buffs. In simple terms, we fully manage WordPress websites. So we work with entrepreneurs, small businesses, help them handle security, website speed, uh, updates, ongoing edits, anything they really need to help them manage WordPress. And then we also work with digital agencies, a few hosting and plugin companies, some design and marketing firms through our white label program. So we work with uh, our white label partners so that they can sell our care plans to their clients as well. So that's a big growing part of the business too. Yeah, very cool. I definitely want to get into that. Uh, I think the whole white label thing is interesting, and I've I've had a lot of requests for it. We do a little bit of that in my business, but um, yeah, it sounds like it's a pretty essential part of what you're doing there. But basically, what WP Buffs, my understanding, as as you just explained, is it's all that WordPress maintenance. So correct me if I'm wrong, but that's basically all the little updates and all the little maintenance tasks that happen after you've had a WordPress site 
designed or redesigned? Like, do you guys get into the actual initial build, design, and redesign of sites, or you, you'll only take on sites after they're basically launched? Yeah, we're really focusing on the after launch ongoing support of websites. When I started the business, I was a freelancer building WordPress websites, and it's just something that so many people do. I was kind of having trouble differentiating myself. And so I thought maybe instead of building websites, because since so many people are already building websites, there may be a space just to do ongoing support. Since it's not just a building of the website people need help with, it's also the you know, the updates, security, website speed, edits, you know, all of the above. So yeah, we actually focus more specifically on ongoing care as opposed to building out new websites for sure. Yeah, very cool. So yeah, I mean, like, why don't we, before we go back, you know, here, we're, we're doing this call in the middle of 2018. I know that WP Buffs is just a couple of years in at this point, but can you give us any sort of sense of size, whether it's revenue, number of customers, uh, your team size, any of that? Yeah, sure. So we have nine people working for WP Buffs. Uh, about half of those people are full-time. Uh, half of those people are part-time people who are working towards full-time in terms of uh, revenue. We've kind of been growing month over month since the business started. We've been profitable since day one, which has been nice, but we did, it has been a bootstrap business, so we didn't raise any uh, funding. It was kind of self-funded through uh, through the Joe Howard bank account, but uh, we did hit a nice milestone. Uh, last month, we did over 30K last month, so that was a nice nice milestone that we hit. So yeah, at about nine people and doing 30K, 25 to 30K uh, monthly revenue and hoping that will hit all increase as the months go on. Beautiful. And it looks like uh, all of your pricing plans, th- these are recurring pricing plans, you know, ranging to pretty low prices, like 40 to 120 bucks a month. And then it looks like some higher tier, like retainer plans as well. Yeah, exactly. So I ca- like I kind of mentioned before, you know, when I was building websites, I was kind of having trouble differentiating myself in the business. And I was really looking for a, a different business model, one that would allow me to focus more on increasing monthly revenue. And so that's kind of why I decided to go more in the direction of this productized service. Our customers pay every month and, and they get a part-time CTO to work on their WordPress site. And that was that made things much easier in terms of from a, coming from kind of a cash flow perspective. You know, now the things I have to worry about are not as much, you know, if I've just finished building a website, you know, I got to look for a new client. You know, that was always kind of a, a pain in the butt. But now the things I'm focusing on are more, uh, how do I increase lifetime value of our customers? You know, how do I decrease the churn rates? So it really is more SaaS pricing as well as SaaS business model. And, and that's, that's worked out way better than uh, the traditional kind of WordPress consulting model uh, that people use just to kind of build websites. I can imagine. And you're right. I mean, I, I come from that background as well. I used to be a freelance WordPress designer, developer, and you're right. I mean, it's kind of like a race to the bottom or it's, it's just all over the map. Like there are just so many generalist website designers who basically use WordPress and they and it is very difficult to differentiate. And that's why I love the productized service model. Um, but so I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, like just kind of looking through your your pricing page and kind of the breakdown of your services, like how do you differentiate between custom work or do you offer, you know, custom like major custom work to their website? Like, do you have any sort of maximum complexity or, or hours that you'll take on for a task before you say that's a larger project that will maybe refer to someone else? How does that work? So we kind of separate it into two different categories that we really separate, I guess, what defines a custom website. Um, this is a tough thing to define, especially when it comes to WordPress, because obviously WordPress is open source technology. 
every WordPress website, no matter how well it's put together, is going to be kind of zombified. Like all the pieces have to work together, all the plugins, all the theme, the core files, all has to work together in the end. And so the way we really differentiate what makes a custom site is anything that's had pretty significant changes in terms of PHP coding. So anything that involves adjustments from the dashboard, as well as HTML and CSS edits, we kind of cover in our, uh, and is fully covered by our care plans and by the edits in those care plans. Um, for us, adjusting CSS and HTML is, is really as easy as adjusting content. So we didn't want to add that to kind of a custom plan. But anything that's really been fully customized in terms of some of that advanced coding language like PHP is going to fall under that kind of custom code plan. So like if they've had like like a custom plugin built just for their site, or like custom functionality that's been implemented. And for you guys to maintain that, it requires the, the higher priced custom plans, basically. Yeah, correct. And the idea there is just that, you know, if you're buying a plugin from a, you know, a valid source online, then, you know, you have, you're able to fall back on that development team to support that plugin, to support the updates, to support the maintenance of a custom plugin. It requires more resources on our end to take care of a website like that. And obviously, if that website has advanced functionality, you know, if it's a WooCommerce site or a, a membership site, people need to log in or people need to check out and get payment information. That site's got to be up and running 24-7 uh, and any downtime can really damage a site like that. So yeah, anything that's been customized like that, especially when it has advanced functionality, is just going to be required to be on, on those higher level plans to make sure that we have the resources to manage it as best we can. Yeah. And I'm also curious about like the other end, like the easier end of maintaining a website. Like, do you guys, I know that you do like routine plugin updates and theme updates and like, you know, like maintaining the functionality of a website. But what if a client just wants like a photo replaced or some content updated or, or some like a, a word, like a typo fixed? Like, do you guys actually go into the content and, and update or like, would you do things like, hey, here's a Google Doc and you set this up as a WordPress post? Like, do you do stuff like that or no? Yeah, we do. So that'd be fully covered by the, the ongoing edits that are included in some of our care plans. So our goal is really to remove all headaches from WordPress users. So anything, especially when it's content and image changes, uh, I mean, that's something that's pretty easy for our team and something that we would include and, and would be fully covered by our, our plans without having to kind of dive into any hourly custom dev or anything like that. Yeah, very nice. So we talked a little bit offline about how you've been growing the team a little bit. And you mentioned there are nine folks on your team now. Like, what are the roles that make up your team? Is it mostly web developers? Like, what does that look like? So that's right. The team is nine people right now. Uh, we're spread out across five different time zones. Everybody works remotely. So that in itself is an adventure, as uh, I know you know, uh, having some remote support as well. The, the makeup of the team is... Um, there are three of us that work more on kind of programmatic, strategic stuff at WP Buffs. And then the other six are more technical, working on not only client work, but internal technical work we need done. So I would say six of us are pretty highly skilled developers. And the others have technical skill too. Um, I guess myself not included. I'm not very technical. But the others are, are working on more programmatic stuff for WP Buffs. So like we just did a big push to uh, make sure we were GDPR compliant, as have many people across the WordPress space and technology space in general. So Nick was the person uh, responsible for that. So we've got kind of operations people and technical people. Very nice. All right. So let's kind of go back, you know, before you even started WP Buffs, what were you doing? So I was, I've worked a few different jobs for, uh, before starting WP Buffs. A lot of people don't know that I, I was a high school math teacher 
for a few years uh, after I graduated from college. So yeah, I've got a little education experience as well. Uh, taught high school math for a couple of years in uh, DC public schools. And then I transitioned away from that and joined a couple of digital marketing startups. Well, what, what happened? I'm curious. So what happened there? Why did you leave public schools? And, and I know that there, there was like a, was it public schools and, and you were going for like tenure or anything like that? Um, no, it wasn't really like that. So I did a teaching program. It was a DC teaching fellows. It's a very similar program to uh, like a Teach for America. Um, you do some summer training and then you're, you're in the classroom. I was scheduled to, you know, my kind of a minimum term was two years. And I, I did my two years and then decided to transition to something else. Uh, I really honestly still miss working with kids. Um, I wish I had more of an opportunity to do that. But uh, the DC Public Schools is a tough place to teach. I mean, I, uh, I got uh, shingles a couple times from the stress. It was just a very stressful environment and didn't, I didn't think it was something that was extremely healthy for me. And I always told myself if I wasn't giving 100% to the cause, then it was time to step away anyway. But that being said, I was really looking for, I, I really enjoyed the challenge. Actually, just real quick, I'm also curious, like when you, when you were even younger, was teaching something that you were always going, like that you saw yourself doing? Or, or did you ever expect to go out on your own and own your own business like this? You know, I always kind of had a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit, I think, but I think it took me a long time to find it. So I decided I want to teach when I was in college. I found kind of education courses and really uh, started to really enjoy the work and working in schools. But I, I think I always kind of brought up in the sense that I guess I was never really like pushed into entrepreneurship. Uh, I was always kind of had this feeling like I was supposed to go this traditional route. You know, I was supposed to do what in high school and then go to college and, and spend four years there again, get good grades and go get a good job. And that was kind of the traditional path. I think I always felt like I was supposed to go on. And then after working a few different jobs, you know, I was a, a math teacher. Then I worked at a couple of digital marketing startups. I did some government consulting as well. And I just kind of, I think I figured out that I really needed more ownership over my work uh, and more freedom to do what I thought was right and make decisions based on that as opposed to just something that someone told me I needed to do. And so I think that's what kind of drew me more towards running my own business and, and trying to start something myself. Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one who can uh, who can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. So when did like the web come into play for you and like, you know, creating websites, WordPress? When did you get introduced to all that? So that was in my first uh, kind of digital marketing startup that I worked at. Um, so after I finished teaching, I, I enjoyed the challenge, really enjoyed the challenge of it. But I felt like I wasn't, I didn't have the right team around me to be successful as a teacher. And so I was really looking for something where I had the opportunity to still take on something challenging, but um, I, I wanted to be able to pick my team. I thought that would be something that would be able to lead me to success. So I was looking around at positions and found a, a job as a first employee at a digital marketing startup and kind of went from there. So most of my, well, I guess not most, but all of my marketing skills are really self-taught through taking on clients, learning, experimenting having a few failures here and there and really just kind of figuring things out. So you just like basically jumped over to a digital marketing firm, like, and you you come from a background in teaching. So they were kind of open to someone who was just eager to, to learn on the job, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think that, I mean, honestly, when I was interviewing for this position, you know, they knew I didn't have any real experience doing any of the, you know, technical work that we'd be doing. But when they looked at my resume and saw, man, like you've taught in DC public schools for a couple of years, like that sounds like one of the hardest jobs ever. Like if you can right. do that, like <laughs> this should be a piece of cake. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it was just in terms of 
Uh, like I've never done anything that was as hard as teaching like that. But in terms of some of the skill sets, I definitely had to uh, learn quick and be on my feet. But it was definitely something that I was able to, to tackle kind of one day at a time. Yeah. Cool. So where'd you go from there? Like when did you kind of make the leap into going out on your own, like, you know, freelancing or, or doing your own client work? So I kind of transitioned from uh, working at these startups to doing some, uh, I got kind of got drawn in the area of user experience. So I really enjoyed kind of putting websites together, both building websites and just figuring out how they can work together to, you know, to give the user the best possible experience. So I uh, transitioned into doing some of that work uh, as a government consultant. So I was helping kind of rebuild old government systems that hadn't been updated since the 90s, um, kind of helping to relaunch them in terms of helping them improve the user experience. And kind of along uh, while I was doing that, I was still kind of keeping my WordPress chops fresh. You know, I was I was doing some freelancing on the side and I'm working with clients one on one and also running some SEO campaigns, helping out some clients with uh, their inbound marketing. Yeah. Well, you know, just just real quick, just to touch on the government consulting piece, you know, I mean, everyone thinks of like these government websites and portals as just having like horrible user experience. Like we've all seen that. But absolutely. I mean, you know, that's not the case for every government site or whatever. But like but the sheer number of people who have to use these systems is is insane compared to, you know, most web projects in the private sector. I mean, you know, an old friend and colleague of mine was pretty heavily involved in the design and build of, of healthcare.gov and, and just the, the insane challenges of managing a site that has to be basically used by hundreds of millions of people is, is insane from a user experience standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the interesting part about doing this work for, you know, for government clients was that because there are so many people using so many of these systems, um, I mean, like one of my clients was the Department of Defense and working on some of their main employee portals. So many people use these portals every day. The user experience makes a huge difference in terms of the overall happiness of uh, someone's day, you know, across tens of thousands of people. And if you're really just talking about sheer efficiency, you know, how many hours it takes someone to accomplish a task, you know, if it takes tens of thousands of people, you know, an hour to do something instead of 10 minutes, that's a lot of taxpayer money going down the drain because people are just using inefficient systems that they don't like using. So that's what kind of drew me to it in the first place. Um, the work itself was very political and very, uh, there was a lot of yellow and red tape I had to kind of claw through to do things. So it wasn't exactly the right, yeah, it wasn't the right fit for me um, because as I found out running WP Buffs, uh, I'm very much kind of a shoot from the hip individual. I like to make decisions fast and kind of see how things pan out and then, you know, iterate on the fly. And that's kind of how I work better. So that, yeah, the slow moving wasn't as, wasn't as good for me. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're, when you're owning your own thing and it's so small compared to, you know, working for these huge organizations. I mean, A, you have to move fast, but then B, I mean, in my experience, like I get extremely impatient now. Like when anything takes longer than I want it to take, you know, if I'm, if something's out of my control, I'm working with a third party or something and they're, and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll get it back to you like by next week. I'm like, no, I need this done today so I can cross it off my checklist. You know? Yeah, dude, tell me about it. I mean, <laughs> I think that's a huge advantage of a lot of small companies too. you know, the ability to make decisions fast and just move quickly. I think a lot of companies as they get bigger, um, they, it, it just, the communication becomes more difficult uh, and the decision making becomes more difficult. Well, it doesn't always have to. Um, so that's one thing I'm always trying to be cognizant of as we grow. You know, things change a lot when we went from, you know, five people to nine people. It's just a lot more communication, um, really trying to give everyone the ability to make decisions uh, on the fly. And so that we can keep moving fast 
and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll have to continue to make changes in the business as we you know continue to bring on more people um i just know that the jump between you know 10 people and 25 people is just massive you know massive changes in just how the business works so i'm sure we'll have to tackle that uh, as it comes as well but i guess good problems to have yeah, as we were just talking about offline, I like it's it's actually good timing that we're having this conversation now. I mean, I I just wrote an article on my blog about the growth of scaling a team, mostly with freelancers, from me and a couple of people up up to a team of like close to thirty at this point. And it's you're right, like there are all these different changes in structure and, and organization that need to happen to get past certain certain milestones there. But we're getting a little bit ahead. Or we're definitely going to dive into that stuff in just a minute. I'm curious about that transition from so okay, like you, you left the consulting gigs, the government work, the digital agency and stuff. Now you're on your own. You're doing basically generalist uh, WordPress like design development work, like client work. Is that what you're doing for a little while there? So I was I was actually doing some freelance work on the side of government consulting, but I actually also started WP Buffs on the side of government consulting as well. Oh, okay. So you went like right into like launching this as a business before you were doing like other stuff. Correct. Although it w- it was uh, it was kind of a side business. Um, you know, I was kind of working nine to five, Monday through Friday, I'm doing government work, and then uh, outside of that work, I was kind of building WP Buffs and and honestly doing like a kind of a proof of concept, seeing if it'd be a viable business idea, and then seeing if I could grow it to the point of okay, do I need to make a decision now about you know going full time on this, or do I want to you know continue just making a steady paycheck? And so, yeah, so your decision to go full time was to like actually leave a full time salary position. It wasn't to like phase down, like you didn't become a full time freelancer first and then phase down that general consulting work, right? That's correct. So, so uh, leaving is one way you could put it. <laughs> so 70% of my uh, department was cut from my company after we lost a few uh, large contracts. So I had actually planned to quit right after my wedding last year and I was let go about two months earlier than that. So technically, I didn't choose to leave, but I was I was within the last couple, kind of couple months of my uh, stint there, uh, and I had plans to go full time on WP Buffs. And it had gotten to the point where financially it made sense to keep working on WP Buffs uh, full time. And now I guess you know a little more than a year later, it is definitely the right decision. You know, I really like that. Um... I guess you, can, you might call it like a model, if you will, for people who are looking to transition into building a scalable business, like a productized service business. Because I, I get this question a lot from folks who are, you know, they, they look at the path that I took, which was I was basically a full-time freelancer for years doing WordPress sites and, and whatnot for several years before I even started my, like what was Restaurant Engine and then and then now into Audience Ops. Like I went the path, which I think more people do, which is, doing general freelance consulting work, start up a more scalable business kind of on the side of that. And then gradually, for me, it was a couple of years of gradual ramping down of the generalist consulting and then started to focus more on on the main business or the brand that I'm trying to launch. In your case, you had the full-time job. And I get this question a lot from folks who are like, you know, I'm thinking about leaving my, my job. Like I've been looking at the productized service model but do I need to be a freelancer first before I can get into productized services or can I launch one on the side of a, of a full-time job? And I, and I do advise, like it, I actually like that model better of having the steady paycheck while you're, you're getting that early traction. 
Yeah, I'm totally, totally with you. I think there are a lot of advantages to that model. I mean, one of the nice advantages for me was that the, the government work was pretty cushy. Um, I was making a pretty nice paycheck there. So I was, I was able to, you know, take 10, 20% of the paycheck and kind of put it towards WP buffs and say, let's see how I can use this money to like experiment and see how I can use this money to, to our best advantage. And as, you know, bootstrapping a company is difficult. Uh, so every dime really counts at the beginning. And I think even more than that, the ability to have the comfort of a nine to five, you know, with uh, healthcare coverage and dental coverage and uh, a steady paycheck while slowly experimenting to see if this is even a realistic business model, because that's where a lot of people, I think, go wrong. They want to start a business. It sounds exciting. But I mean, the proof of concept is one of the biggest pieces of it and creating an MVP and getting things rolling uh, and getting something that's really scalable in place uh, is really important. So I think that doing that on the side of a full time job, although it took you know, many more hours a week because I was working a lot. It was much less risky than, at least I think, than just, you know, quitting and then moving into like proof of concept and freelancing. Um, to me, it was definitely the move. I couldn't agree more. I mean, because I was full-time employed at an agency before I became a freelancer. And I remember how comforting it was for me to know, and that was like an in-house agency in New York City. Um, I remember how comforting it was for me to know that like when I'm physically in the office, I'm at work. That's like nine to five or nine to six or whatever. And then when I leave the office and I'm on my way home or whether it's at night or on the weekend or whatever, it was a total freedom, a total disconnection from my salary work. And I'm totally free to work on whatever on those. I mean, yeah, it's after hours and I got to hustle a little bit to do side projects, but I didn't have that mental weight of my work projects getting in the way. Whereas in the years that followed when I was a freelancer, I was basically paying my bills with freelance work. But when I'm trying to start a business like Restaurant Engine or Audience Ops, like I still need to hustle and think about marketing my, like getting the consulting work and dealing with that stuff at all hours of the day and weekends and stuff. And so it, there's that mixture of, of like, you know, the, the mental weight just kind of overlaps everything and it, and it makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I, uh, I'm totally with you there. I think that anybody who's listening now who is kind of thinking these same thoughts and has these same questions, you know, I really believe that there's, there's no easy way to do any of this. Um, so although, you know, working a full-time job while starting WP Bus on the side is what I did. And while going into freelancing and then starting your business is what you did, everything comes with pros and cons and everything comes hard. I mean, and nothing really comes easy. So there's going to be some aspect of, you're just going to have to like work a lot of hours and like probably mess some stuff up, fail a few times and like figure it out. There's no like people always think of like the Instagram story, you know, it's like, oh, like in a year we've got to 15 employees and like sold the company for a billion dollars. Like, yes, technically that happened, but that's very clearly the exception, not the rule. Yeah. I remember seeing that guy at a, at a conference, like it must have been like 2009 or something like that. And oh, yeah, I forget. I think this was like just before the acquisition from Facebook and. But he was just talking about like, oh, we've just had this like insane growth. And just like the whole talk to me was like, look at these crazy growth numbers. Like, I don't know, it just happened. Like we put it out there and we had millions of users. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, how do I use that? I don't know what to do with that. So <laughs> anyway. yeah, it's like, this isn't applicable to me at all or right. <laughs> anybody here. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so so yeah, let's get into WP Buffs a little bit. Like, you know, you talked about how, how it is difficult to get that early traction and proof of concept and so what were what were your very first steps to getting, you know, WPBuffs.com launched and getting those very first customers and even the whole concept behind it of, of the model and your pricing and what were your first steps to, to get all that together? 
So the concept really came about the fact that I was doing some freelance work on the side, um, but I wasn't able to find, I found that like building websites wasn't as scalable a process as I wanted. So I was looking for just a different business model. I wanted a, a business model that worked for me as well as something that combined my skills with WordPress and my knowledge that I already had in the WordPress space. So I thought, you know, instead of building websites, let's try managing them because I can kind of package it into these plans uh, and kind of use a more SaaS-based business model. Uh, so I did a little competitive research, uh, found a few other companies out there that were doing it. And kind of the most important piece there is I, I saw actually a lot of other companies out there doing a similar model, but I found that probably 80 to 90% of those companies, um, I didn't was just landing on their website and kind of getting a feel for their business. I didn't feel like they were doing a very good job with the business. And for about 90, maybe 99% of those people, I felt like the way they were marketing themselves via their website was subpar. So I felt like there was just a, there was clearly a market for this because people were doing it and building businesses around it. But I also felt like there was room to win in the space. So uh, I thought it was kind of a perfect place for me. What was the differentiator that you had in mind? Like you're looking at these other competitors. I mean, WordPress in general is just a competitive space because there's because it is such a, a big growing market that for every idea now, every every product idea, there's there's going to be competitors. What were you looking at? What were the kind of like the gaps where you saw an opportunity? So I think there were three main places I saw gaps I wanted to exploit. Um, one was just in the marketing area. Um, having learned a lot in the inbound marketing space, I felt like I could really compete there. I felt like I could compete in a way that it would really be a differentiator for us, where we could really kind of dominate the competition. I also saw a lot of people doing more um, kind of nine to five, Monday through Friday work. And I thought that's a great place to have an advantage. Let's you know go with a remote team. Let's hire people from different time zones and let's do 24-7 support. If someone emails us at 10 p.m. on a Friday, I don't want to be the company that's emailing back at you know 9.30 on a Monday when your website's been down all weekend. So I thought that was someplace I definitely wanted to. Hey, you know, I, I actually just kind of glossed over that, but it it is like the first benefit that you list on the site, 24-7 website edits. I mean, that's pretty uh, impressive. Yeah, maybe I need to make it a little more, uh, stand out a little more on the website and make it a little bigger. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I see it there, but like it's, um because I, I'm just thinking about it, like when, when I have a, a code issue or something on my site, like, yeah, I've got to like email support and then. It, get, it gets back to that impatience thing. Like, yeah, I could wait for the thing to be resolved by tomorrow or the next day, but I don't want to. I want to get it done now. You know? Exactly. And we have plans that come with priority support. So if you're the kind of person that needs, you know, edits done uh, within hours, then that's the plan for you. Um, the last piece that we kind of differentiate ourselves with is, is just our white label program. So instead of just working with directly with customers, we actually work with agencies to help them sell care plans and provide ongoing support. And that comes with all sorts of some stuff. You know, we give them free ebooks um, so that they can, you know, attract new clients. We give them a whole onboarding email sequence that they can send to their clients. You know, we take an email address from them uh, and actually help them do support. So we forward that into our help desk. So we're able to provide that support. Um, obviously, all emails with their signature and their logo on white label reports we send out every week. So that I think is a big area where there are a lot of design firms, and marketing agencies out there that want to work with WordPress, but they have a bunch of client sites and they don't really know what to do with them. And this is just a really easy kind of plug and play solution for them. Yeah. And you're really offering like a true white label experience where it looks and feels like it's coming from their website, their email address, their brand. Yeah, exactly. And the, the real, the best part about that for our, our agency partners is that 
you know, especially for the ones like, let's say, building websites, you know, every two, three, four years, people are kind of looking for a website refresh. You know, who are the first people that those, you know, who are the first partners are going to look for in terms of helping them with that? It's going to be the people who have been in touch with them and sending them reports about their website every month and who have done edits for their current website, you know, really quickly and effectively. They're not going to have any deaths. Oh, this is the company I want to build my new website. You know, let's just pay them 15K to build a new website for us. You know, that's kind of an easy way to stay in touch with your current clients, keep that relationship building going, but not having to dedicate any of the financial resources to or time resources to actually provide that that somewhat low, uh, that work in that, that can be kind of considered a low impact in terms of the bottom line of a lot of these agencies. Yeah, exactly. When you think about, like you said, like not, not only the, there's like a little bit of recurring revenue or, or profit margin that they can make by white labeling your service on an ongoing basis, but keeping those relationships active and then having the repeat larger projects come up that I could see that, that working out. But kind of going back to the very first, you know, the, the early days of WP Buffs, like, was it you doing most of the the work or did you start hiring a team immediately? What what did that look like? So I definitely was hiring people immediately for help with the technical work. I knew that that was not something that was in my skill set and I wouldn't hire myself to do technical work for me. So I figured if, if I wouldn't do it, then our clients probably shouldn't have to even make that decision. So that was something that from the beginning, I was always looking for ways to bring people on board who were better at me. And at, at this work, because I'm, I'm technical enough to be dangerous, but not not enough to actually, you know, be a technical buff. So that was something that very early we brought on help for. So you just sought out like freelance, like freelance WordPress web developers. Yeah, it really started uh, as bringing on people part time, kind of on an hourly basis and, you know, having them cover certain shifts of the day. And it was really kind of just me and a few freelancers doing the work. And that's what it felt like. And that is what it was. And as we've kind of matured as a company, as we brought people on full time, we've just not only as a company matured, but our systems have matured, uh, the, our processes have matured. And so the the way we handle things now is it doesn't really, it's kind of like, I think about working for WP Buffs as the feeling of it as you have all the benefits of being a freelancer in terms of a lot of the flexibility, in terms of vacation time, in terms of just kind of not necessarily having to work a nine to five job, but working when the clients need us. But you also have all the advantages of working in a full-time job. So you have, you know, you're a salaried uh, employee. Um, you don't have to go out and look for new clients. You know, all the work's there for you to do. You know, you're able to help us build a business um, and really kind of feed off our culture. So to me, that's the kind of direction I we eventually got to and are still obviously working towards every day. But we've definitely shifted more in that direction. And that's that's going to change for us. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I really, really relate to that. I, I literally just wrote an entire article all about this. I got to read this for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, like a, like a better way to scale a team, especially if you're bootstrapping, but I think this applies to really any company. Um, you know, this idea that, that there are really, really talented, eager, motivated people out there who don't want full-time jobs. They want to stay freelance. You know, they like that flexibility. A lot of them are like stay-at-home parents, a lot of them are just working on on other freelance projects, or they're they're side hustling a, a business of their own. You know, so they want that freelance lifestyle, and they're super talented and motivated to do that sort of thing. But at the same time, that freelancing thing comes with a number of trade-offs, right? So, like most freelance gigs, come and go, and there and, and you have that you know those peaks and valleys, the feast and famine. Um, you don't have that steady retainer. A, a lot of times you're working alone, you know, so you're kind of solo. You don't have a team to kind of collaborate with. 
And so when there's a business like a WP Buffs or like an audience ops that comes along and, and kind of helps fill those gaps for freelancers to say, hey, you could you could still be a freelancer, but here's something a lot more steady, long term. We've got a great team. We've got a Slack. We're just handing you clients to work on. You get to do really quality, meaningful work with a proven process and system. Just do your thing. I mean, you know, most of my team has, has been on the team in that capacity for over two years, some of them over three years. And it's, it's been a really solid, uh, it's kind of like a win-win thing for everyone. Yeah. I mean, man, you nailed it exactly just now. And especially as you're, as you're bootstrapping a business, I mean, every dime you spend is huge, has huge implications for your business. And, you know, if you're going to start a business and bootstrap it and you're just going to like hire three people full time when you start, you know, you better like have a pretty big goose egg to have a little bit of runway in your business, or you better be funded, like you better have raised some money. Um, and if you haven't done either of those things, I think it's much safer and a much better bet to go the route of hiring part time people. There are a few disadvantages to it, but the trade off in terms of scaling up slowly and improving the concepts and keeping everybody kind of at this low risk point is to me, it's a no brainer. I mean, I would give that advice to almost anybody who's bootstrapping a business, you know, start with people part-time. And if you want to down the line, you can always bring them on full-time and you can change your model later on. But to start, it's just, uh, it, to me, it makes much more sense and potentially on an ongoing basis as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the, uh, and you know, you can, they can ramp up slowly or ramp down as the business needs. And, you know, the other thing about this is that by going the part-time freelancer route, rather than trying to, to just immediately jump full-time salary employees is that you can get such a higher level of talent. Like I, I wouldn't be able to afford a lot of our team out on a full-time salary, but I get this really high level talent for 10 to 15 hours of their week, every week, you know? And then you can start to really optimize the process of how you deliver the work and make it profitable while retaining that really high quality, high caliber team and, and final product. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. So like, again, like early on, like first year of WP Buffs, like what were some of the, the key lessons and things that you learned and or changes that you made to the operations and, and whatnot to make the team work and finding the right people and that sort of stuff? So I think a big piece was WP Buffs was in its early stages. I was hiring people more for their technical ability than for whether or not they would be a good fit to work with the kind of culture I wanted to build at WP Buffs. I was always pretty good with the marketing side of things. So I was bringing on clients, bringing on clients, and I just kind of needed people who could do the technical work. So that's what I did. I just kind of hired people pretty quickly and brought them on board, onboarded them, you know, did all that. But they, again, had some of the technical ability to do the work, but not as much, you know, in terms of the kind of communication style I wanted and just the kind of we've got your back feeling that became so much more important as we went from, you know, two people to five people to now nine people. And so that was, a, I think, a mistake I made early in terms of hiring and something I've had to correct as we've gone along. Um, I've had to let go of a few developers who just didn't fit the mold as well. But um, once I brought on people who I was much more comfortable with, who I trusted much more in terms of wanting to really be part of this company and build a company with me, it really kind of went from, from night to day. And we have a, we have a really, you can feel when a, we get this, this change in the company where it's not just me driving the culture. It's everybody who's driving the culture. And it really, it's a kind of turning into its own animal in a good way. And so I, I can tell it's kind of working. And that's, uh, again, been something that's been a huge change for us in a positive way. That's something that's really on my mind a lot. It always has been since I've been growing the team on audience apps about culture and because we are all remote, 
frankly, we just have too many people in too uh, distant places for us to do any sort of like in-person, you know, retreats or things like that. So I'm curious, like, what kinds of things do you do to keep the team, you know, really cohesive and the culture, you know, positive and everything? So this is something I'm constantly working on, constantly trying to find better ways to do it, because this is probably one of, if not the hardest piece of running a remote team, um, is really making it feel like a team because it's when you see someone in person every day, it is different. You get to read their body language. You get to really kind of see them uh, emote and you can see the emotions behind what they're saying. And that makes a huge difference. So we do a few things. We have just kind of our Monday standup uh, where everyone's on the call. You know, we just talk about, you know, things we did last week, tasks we have for this week and uh, any blockers people have. But uh, one thing I've we've added to that is once we're done with the, you know, that business side of things, we actually keep that call, that video call open. So we don't, uh, not necessarily to go over more things, just to kind of work together via video. And that's been a really cool addition to what we do. Um, it's actually a suggestion someone at MicroConf gave to me. So you just have this like call running, but you guys aren't necessarily like talking. You're just kind of sitting there working. And Yeah, sometimes. And sometimes someone brings something up or someone sends a piece of music and then we're all listening to it. Or sometimes we're just talking about non-work stuff. But it's cool just to, it really feels like you're just working next to someone. Like it's kind of an office. And that's been a really cool way to influence a little bit of more serendipity into our calls because i mean as you know as a remote team when you get on a call it's like what are we talking about like what are the business goals like let's solve it okay call over. and you don't have as much time for just like bumping into, into each other at the water cooler and, and rubbing elbows and, and just kind of like talking about the like real humanity stuff yeah that may not be work related i struggle a little bit with calls like i mean part of it is because like i just want to have as few recurring meetings on my calendar as possible totally <laughs> but I, I do have one meeting with just the managers and it's like every two weeks and it lasts like five ten minutes and then occasionally one-on-ones with people as, as different things come up but almost all of our team interaction happens in slack and i mean I would like to have more FaceTime, more calls. A while back, like early in audience ops, I tried doing like kind of like the stand-up call once a week with the whole team. And one thing that I found as a productized service, like I, I think stand-up, I mean, maybe you have different thoughts on this, but like, I think that the weekly stand-up has more impact when you're like a SaaS or a software product, like when you're building new features every week together, you're collaborating on, on what the next big release is going to be and how that's coming together. Whereas what I found with the productized service, I mean, what we do is so routine. We're just running the production line every week and we've got all these clients and we're, we're doing the deliverables, we're following our processes. And, and so the stuff that we would talk about at a standup is just super routine and kind of repetitive. And most of that is documented in our Trello boards and, and whatnot anyway. So I, pretty early on, I killed the standup. We kind of replaced it with the manager's meeting, which kind of gives an update on any issues, but I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on that, like as a productized service. No, I think that you're actually extremely spot on on this. The advantage I see in the standup is honestly not as much because you're right. For like a SaaS company, it's kind of like you're going through sprints. So the standup is really like related to like really the specific tasks you're doing this week. Whereas what we're doing, it really is pre-systematized and you're really just kind of like knocking out tasks to say come up and it's not, it doesn't get that much more complex than that. But that being said, the advantage I see is I want kind of everyone to have an idea of things that are going on in every part of the business. So like before we were doing these calls, like no one like really knew about marketing. We just kind of like magically got new clients and like that's what they thought it like happened, right? Because they just didn't have that context. So, you know, when I get to do my standup call, I get to tell them about the marketing stuff we did last week. And, you know, hey, I was on this podcast last week, like here, check it out. Like, and that way 
I feel like people get a more holistic idea that they're not just technical buffs. They're not just people who are like helping out with customer tickets and like that's the extent of what they do. It's like, well, actually, we actually do all of this together. Like I'm doing like uh, most of the marketing and like a lot of the sales, but then you come in and help out with this and people get to see that entire life cycle. And so that's where I see some of the advantages of doing the Monday kind of call just so that someone who may not know anything about you know, another piece of business gets to hear about what's going on there. Yeah, that's a good tip. I like that. And so that does have a little bit of an advantage here, I think. Cool. Yeah. One of the little things that we do in our Slack is in the random channel every Friday, but sometimes just whenever, uh, you know, somebody will just throw out like a random question, you know, like a Friday random question where it's just like, nice. like, you know, what, what's everyone like everyone's, you know, vacation plans this week or your, or your favorite vacation destination or, you know, books you're, you're currently reading and stuff like that. And, and like, that just gets the whole team talking about like just random stuff. And the other thing kind of related to that is, especially when we bring on new team members, we have them introduce themselves, but we also have the entire team kind of reintroduce themselves and try to include something that maybe you haven't talked about publicly before in, in the team. So like, yeah, like a lot of our members have, have been on the team for like over two years, some three years. And to even hear them reintroduce themselves and talk about some other aspect of what's going on in their life it's kind of like a cool thing for everyone to read through and just like, you know, in the Slack random channel, it does kind of bring people together a little bit. Yeah, definitely agree. Those kind of conversations and random questions coming in definitely has a nice positive effect in that arena. Ours is kind of more, ours is music related. A lot of people like to listen to certain music while they work. Uh, and so I've gotten a lot of awesome music suggestions from people who are like, hey, check out this like lo-fi uh, YouTube live YouTube station. And I go on, I'm like, this is perfect. Like I work to this every day. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. And that has a nice connection for sure. Awesome. So, uh, so you know, before we wrap up here, I, I am kind of curious about the marketing stuff. I know you've been focused on that. What's been working really well for you in the early days to get those? I'm, I'm curious about like getting those first customers, like your first batch of customers. And then what, what's been like really sustainable to drive traffic and, and leads and, and customers? So most of our approach in terms of marketing has been through inbound marketing. So writing a lot of high quality content having it uh, get found search engines, uh, mainly Google, really, and then trying to convert those people into email subscribers. You know, once you've done that, you kind of segment them into different lists, depending on whether they're an agency or a freelancer, or maybe they're just a direct customer and kind of sending them some more value in terms of what they do, and then eventually kind of educating them about what we do. And that's really been our main strategy from day one. Yeah, I've been checking out the blog a little bit. The content on, on the blog is very... It's very in-depth, very well done. I can see that's a pretty key component to all of your marketing here. And you got some like free eBooks and, and things like that. So Yeah, uh, that's been pretty effective for us so far. Although I'm really at the point now where I would like to, and I'm looking to accelerate growth a little bit. We probably bring on a new, we bring on a new customer about one every two days. So we have about 15 new customers we bring on a month right now. Now 15 new websites that I manage. Uh, and I'd like to really make that one a day. So I'm really looking for other ways maybe some paid advertising. Maybe that's an area I want to dive into. Uh, maybe doing some more social stuff, maybe some AdWords. I'm not sure, but uh, maybe it's just accelerating what we're already doing. But that's definitely something I'm looking to do in the next you know, few months here. Awesome. So, uh, so yeah, aside from kind of you know, stepping on the gas when it comes to marketing, as we start to wrap up here, what else do you have planned ahead in, in this year, 2018, and going into next year, like other big plans for WP Buffs or anything else? So we had we have some goals that we wanted to hit this year. We wanted to get to 600 websites managed, and we also wanted to get to 96% customer happiness rating, just our internal desk metrics. Uh, we were at 92 last year, 
And as of right now, we're definitely on target to hit 96% customer happiness, which would be great. How are you measuring that? So that's just people who leave ratings in our desk system. So it's uh, when we send a solved message, uh, people get an email, they can choose you know, how this ticket went for them. And so we just want to get that rating up a little bit. I always get that email after a customer support and I always ignore it. A lot of people do. Um, but we have a few <laughs> ways. We, we kind of, we, you know, we tell people if they give us ratings, like we'll send them, you know, a Bufftastics t-shirt, um, which we do, which people kind of like. So we have kind of ways that we uh, get people to fill that out. Although to tell you the truth, after attending MicroConf, I've kind of changed the way I want to kind of do our goals moving forward this year. Although those things are important and I'm, I'm probably going to keep them in place. The two things I really do want to focus on moving forward are uh, increasing the customer lifetime value and decreasing our churn rate. To me, those are the the a high ratio of uh, LTV to churn is a sign of a, a really successful business in terms of the SaaS pricing model. So, uh, and that's where I saw a lot at, at Microcom. So, I'm really focusing on ways that we can directly and indirectly affect both of those things. So, that's where I really have my mind on moving forward as well. Yeah, I like that. I I think this year for me, I'm I've gotten away from the uh, from the big metric-based goals, you know, like trying to hit a certain revenue target or customer target, and because those are I could work on things, but I, I the actual numbers are sometimes out of my control. And then the other thing I've gotten away from is planning too many big things too far out in the year. Like I, I every January I always plan in quarter one I'm going to do this, and by quarter three we're going to be doing this, and by quarter four we're going to be launching this, and it's just way too far out. And now I'm just thinking much more in terms of like the next three months and, and where I want to focus my time. And, and then I'll just take it from there. Yeah, I think that's really smart. I think we're doing something similar. So we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, cool. So uh, so yeah, I think we, we already covered a lot of ground here. Um, WPBucks.com is the site. Uh, anywhere else where people can connect with you, Joe? People can feel free to check us out on Twitter, uh, the WPBuffs. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm just Joseph H. Howard. If you, if you check out WP Bucks and scroll to the footer there, we also have a, a new Instagram page. We're kind of featuring uh, the people on our team. Uh, again, we're all, we're all remote, so hashtag remote work is a big thing for us. Uh, we just kind of want to showcase what it's like to work for the company and, and kind of give people just kind of a peek into that fourth window. So feel free to check us out on, on the gram as well. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I'm going to check that out. Awesome, Joe. Yeah, great to catch up with you. Thanks for doing it. Hey, you too, Brian. Uh, nice talking to you. All right. All right, now before we wrap up, let me ask you, what'd you think of this one? Was it good? You learned something? Are there any other topics you'd like to hear me cover on this pod? Well, let me know. No, I mean, really, like, let me know. Hit reply on any of the emails that I sent you. I'll read every single one. I try to reply to everyone. What's that? Oh, you're not on my list yet. Okay, well, head over to my site, productizepodcast.com. You can get on my email newsletter that way. I'll send you, you know, new episodes and all the show notes, but I'll also send you my newsletter where I share all sorts of articles and other insights on entrepreneurship, building products, productized services, software, SaaS, and other cool stuff there. So yeah, check that out over at productizepodcast.com. And of course, if you have a minute, I'd really appreciate if you could head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, or at least just five stars. You don't even have to leave a review if you don't want to, but that would really go a long way to helping other folks like us find this podcast. So yeah, thanks a lot for tuning in. I'll talk to you on the next one.